You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We praise you for your grace towards us, that you are a God who is for us. We pray now that you would pour out the Holy Spirit, that same spirit you gave at Pentecost, that you would grant that spirit to us now, that we would not be those who just uh, even just understand your word, but that we respond to it with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Thank you very much. That was super kind, and um, I'm so grateful you chose the right donut because I would not come (laughs) if you had served Krispy Kreme. Um, So very grateful for that. Thank you guys so much. Well, if you've been with us at all, I guess for about a month now, we started a new sermon series on what I think is probably one of the most overlooked epistles of Paul, but I think one of the most beautiful, certainly one of the most personal, one of the most passionate, which Paul is appealing to his friends to really grasp the gospel. Uh, We're calling this series Power and Weakness because this is one of the great themes of the letter that just as the power of God was most manifest paradoxically in the weakness and the suffering of the cross, In the same way, God's power, God's treasure is most manifested through the weakness of his clay pot church. That through our weakness, our struggles, God's power is often most manifest. And so this week we're coming to what is probably my favorite chapter in the book. That's chapter five, verses 11 through 21. So let's hear from Heather Goulart as she reads 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. A reading from 2 Corinthians 5:11 through 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever had a broken relationship? Have you ever had a, any relationship in which a conflict has occurred and after that it just felt like there was a wall? There was just an invisible wall that went up between the two of you that you just couldn't overcome. Uh, if your answer to that is no, no, that's never happened to me, then you are either very, very young or you've been living in a cave in the wilderness by yourself. <laughs> because if you are a human being, and if you have a relationship with another human being in this sin-scarred, broken world, then your relationships will be marked by those same sins and scars. There's nothing especially wrong with you. There's nothing especially wrong with the relationship. It is just part of what it means to be a human being and relate to other human beings in a fallen world. Really, the question comes, what are you going to do about it? How are you gonna to respond to the brokenness and the conflict that you experience in many of our human relationships? You know, Paul had a conflict. He had a seriously broken relationship with these people, the, the Corinthian Christians. They had stopped trusting him, they had stopped believing him, they were estranged, there was an invisible wall between them, and Paul in this letter, and especially in this chapter, is just appealing to them to be reconciled, to, to have their relationship be restored, and the resource, the resource, the tool that Paul turns to to help bring healing and reconciliation to that relationship is the good news of the gospel itself. That's the theme of this chapter, reconciliation, that God has done something. God has acted definitively to bring reconciliation between himself and us, and that act of reconciliation now becomes a powerful vehicle of change for us to become agents of reconciliation and healing in our human relationships and in our world. So we're just gonna look at, at two simple things in this passage. First, the reality of reconciliation, the reality of it, and second, responding to it, how we respond to it. So first, the reality of reconciliation. The last 10 days, we experienced a global conflict. There was a global conflict in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas that carried out over 11 days, and there was a lot of suffering and a lot of death and a lot of harm. But on Friday morning, uh, you probably woke up like I did, looked at the news, and something had happened. There was an announcement. Egypt negotiated a ceasefire. And at least temporarily, there was a measure of peace. It was an announcement. Something had happened to bring the hostility to an end. Now, this chapter, in a way, is Paul making that kind of announcement. He's announcing to all, something has happened. Something has happened. And, and something has happened to bring the end to a terrible hostility that has left countless people dead and countless people without hope. But in this case, it, 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 he's not announcing a ceasefire between warring nations or warring tribes and peoples. He's announcing the act of reconciliation between God and the world. 
So verse 18, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This word reconciliation, katalage, which is the Greek word, katalage, means the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. Now, think about that. The fact that there was the need for reconciliation between us and God implies something, doesn't it? What does it imply? That there was something wrong, <laughs> that there was a conflict, that there was an estrangement, a separation between us and the God who made us. And the Bible talks about this separation many different ways. It talks about our sin, it talks about human rebellion, and that this sin and this propensity of the human heart to turn away from God has put up a wall or a barrier between us and God. So Isaiah 59 says this, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. There were a lot of little kids in the first service. It was so much fun. So I, I used a prop. I did an illustration. And there's more big kids here, but big adults. So I'm, I'm still going to do it. Um, hey, Mark, can you just stand up for a second? Maybe my, my prop. So let's say that Mark and I want to be in relationship with each other. But unfortunately, this is between us. Hey, what's up, Mark? How's it going? So it's really awkward, right? Like, how can I be in relationship with this man if there's a bear between us? And this is, this is, thanks, Mark, you can sit down. Well done. Very simple illustration. So this is essentially what the Bible is saying, kids, is that, is that because of our sin, there is a wall. Do you see what it says? Your sins have hidden God's face from you so that he cannot hear. And that's a really serious dilemma because if the purpose of existence is knowing and being known by God, then not knowing God, being separated from God, is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. <laughs> this is a serious existential dilemma, right? And so this is a serious problem. So what's the solution? Well, if you think about it, when you're having a problem in a human relationship, what has to happen? Somebody has to make the first move. Somebody, and you, you married people know this, you know, <laughs> you're sitting there, you're on a road trip, neither of you are speaking to each other, you've been in the car for five hours, not saying this has happened to me, but uh, you're, you're sitting there. Somebody's gotta make, somebody's gotta make the first move. And here's what's amazing about this passage. It's saying that not only in this cosmic relationship conflict, not only has God made the first move, he's made every move. That he has acted comprehensively and exclusively to restore and heal the brokenness that existed between us and him. Verse 20, 21, God made, sorry, sorry, all this is from God, verse 18, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against us. Paul is talking about the gospel of the cross and resurrection. He's talking about what God has accomplished in and through the death of Jesus. He elaborates further in verse 21. He says, first, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So this is, I just want you to understand, this is not saying that God decided one day, you know what, those human beings and all their human sin and rebellion, the way they destroyed their relationship with me and destroyed the world, it's not a, no big deal. Let's just forget about it. Let's sweep it under the rug. No, this is actually saying the precise opposite. That God, it was such a big deal 
that God actually took it upon himself, that the curse of God upon sinners and rebels actually fell upon himself in the person of Jesus. That Jesus so associated himself with sin on the cross that Paul would dare to say he became sin for us. But that's just the first thing. The second thing he says in the second part of the sentence is this, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is just a fancy Bible word for right relationship. We're always trying to do all these things to make ourselves right with God, be a good person, try real hard, read your Bible a lot, make sure you go to church. We're trying to do all those things, but the cross says it's over. The games are over. You can't make yourself right with God. You can't tear down the wall that separates you. There's nothing you could do. So what has God done? He made himself right with you. He set the relationship right. We're righteous in him. And so let's go back to, to our little wall here, Mark. So what do we do about this? The fact that Mark and I cannot have a relationship and Mark can't do anything about it. This is what God, God just, God acts. <laughs> and literally, look, look, there is nothing but open space now between us. Nothing but open space. Thanks. <laughs> Mark and I have a good relationship. That would have been very awkward. <laughs> um, so, so this is what is, and, and I just really need you to understand this, y'all, is that God has acted, and so what this means, I, sometimes actually Christians don't understand this, that reconciliation with God is not a potential possibility, it is a present reality. It is not a, a future potential possibility if you kind of do the right things or say the right words or pray the, pray the right stuff. It is actually a present reality that God has already ripped down the wall, and so there's nothing now but open space between you and the God who loves you. Nothing but open space. That peace is won. That the war is over. And that this announcement has changed the world and the future of humanity forever. That the war is over. That you don't have to do anything because everything has already been done. And the triumph of Jesus. So that's, that's the first thing, the reality of reconciliation. Isn't that amazing? So what do we do in response to this? That's the second part, is responding to reconciliation. Well, Paul mentions two simple things in here that I'd like to unpack. The first is, and this might almost sound too simple to say, be reconciled to God. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Note that Paul does not say, reconcile yourself to God. It's passive, it's be reconciled. There's no need to make peace with God because God has already made peace with you. What are you called to do? Receive it, receive the embrace of God. There's nothing left but open space between you. Now, let me just be really clear on this because I think some of us don't understand this. What does it mean to be a Christian? Kids, young people, I especially want you to hear me on this. What does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean to do certain things, look a certain way, does it mean to be religious, go to church, read your Bible, pray a lot? No. Christians do a lot of those things, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian means someone who has taken that step to receive the embrace of God in Christ. The person who believes, yes, the wall is torn down by Jesus and I receive God's embrace and now I am going to live the rest of my life in the embrace of the God who loves me. 
That's what it means to be a Christian. Have you done that? See, some of you never have. Some of you are just religious, but you've never received the embrace of God in Christ for you. Others of you, note that Paul is preaching to Christians here. He's saying to Christians, people who describe themselves as Christians, be reconciled to God. And what that tells you is that you can actually be a very religious and moral person, think that you're a Christian, but actually be estranged from the God who loves you because your back is turned. You're, not, you know, you're living as if you're at war with God or that God is at war with you. Or you're living as if God is some like piece of furniture that you stuffed away in a closet and you don't live your life in relationship with him. So Paul is urging us, all of us, be reconciled to God. Get in touch with reality. The war is over. Peace is won. Live in the truth of what has happened. Embrace the reconciliation that you now have with God and begin living like it's true because it is. Be reconciled to God. The second response is also beautiful, and that is be ambassadors of reconciliation. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 5 20, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I love this metaphor. Paul says now that for those of us who have actually received this good news and are living in light of it, you're now calling is to be an ambassador of reconciliation. And I love this metaphor because if you think about an ambassador, an ambassador, it's not really like their job per se. Like they don't go to like an office. I mean, they might, but, but they're an ambassador all the time. When they're at the office, when they're at the gym, when they're at work, when they're at home, when they're in the neighborhood, when they're at the grocery store. You're an ambassador all the time because you are always representing the one who sent you. And this is what Paul is saying, that part of your calling now, as one who's been reconciled to God, is to represent this God of love who has reconciled himself to you. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we speak the message of reconciliation. See that in verse 19, it says God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, he is making his appeal through us. One part of our calling is to announce to people God has reconciled the world to himself through Christ. The war is over. You can receive the embrace of the God who loves you. Let me be clear, friends. What we have to offer to the world is not a religious and moral system, not a positive way of life or a collection of timeless truths or even a great welcoming community. The gospel is not good advice about how to live a good life and be a better person. The gospel principally is good news about something that God has done in history to end the war between himself and humanity. The gospel is not about what you are supposed to do, but about what God has already done to accomplish this reconciliation through Christ. And therefore, our job isn't to convert people or to change people or manipulate people into believing or to make people act or behave differently. That's the work of the Spirit alone. Our job is just to announce the war's over. Peace has been won. You are loved. There's nothing between you and God anymore. Life and mercy and grace and forgiveness are yours ready for the taking. Will you receive it? It's a message of reconciliation. But not only that, Paul says, we not only have a message, we have, verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation. As those who've been reconciled, we're now called to be agents of reconciliation in and through our human relationships in the world. Remember, the whole point of this magnificent theological reflection was Paul's attempt to bring peace in his human relationships with the Corinthians. And so Paul now says, 
in our human relationships, we're called to set things right with each other. I love what Leslie Newbegin says, the great missiologist. He says, the gospel of reconciliation can only be embodied by a reconciled fellowship. We can only bear witness to Jesus when we are reconciled with each other. In a recent article in Comment Magazine that I highly recommend, Tim Keller notes how unpopular and even offensive the concepts of forgiveness and reconciliation have become in the last few years on both the right and the left. Think about this, while while Dr. Martin Luther King and many of the other civil rights leaders who were motivated by scripture and the biblical worldview often preached the power of forgiveness and reconciliation as a tool for healing our society, many of the new modern secular social justice movements actually see forgiveness and reconciliation as a tool of the oppressor. That, that there are times when forgiveness and reconciliation are seen as threatening further harm to the victim, empowering the oppressor, perpetuating injustice. Now this is a very sensitive subject, very sensitive indeed, and I wanna, I'm very aware that there may be times and places where reconciliation is not possible or appropriate, especially when someone has been physically or emotionally abused. I also want to say, as Christians, we must be absolutely committed to truth-telling, biblical justice, and repairing the harm that generations of oppression and injustice have caused. Nevertheless, I believe that one of the most primary and powerful ways as Christians we can be a countercultural movement is to show the power of the gospel to bring reconciliation in into divided peoples. The gospel gives incredible resources to help work through human, many of the human conflicts that we see around us even now in our society. Let me just close by mentioning a few. First, the gospel compels us to face conflict courageously. In his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy says that most all of us, think about which camp you're in, most all of us, when it comes to conflict, we are prone to either flight or fight, either to escape or attack. Which one are you? Many of us uh, are more conflict avoidant, so we act like when the conflict happens, things are no big deal, we just sort of stuff it, we don't acknowledge it, which often results in bitterness, festering resentment, which just makes the conflict worse. Others of us face conflict like it's our hobby, right? And we just kind of plow into it with our fists, ready to fly, which again, only makes the conflict worse. But the gospel approaches neither. It's not peace faking, which is escape. It's not peace breaking, which is attack. It is peace making, which means to face conflict courageously as God has done for us, but to do so with a deep commitment to bring glory to God and to honor the other person as someone worthy of God's love and respect. We face conflict courageously. Second, the gospel compels us to handle conflict humbly. One of the saddest things I've seen about the conflict even fellow Christians have had in the last year, whether it's about masking or racial justice or politics, is the poisonous presence of pride. This poisonous presence of pride, which works itself out in an unwillingness to listen to each other, the refusal to acknowledge that anyone has anything worth hearing, you know, which issues out in gossip and slander. But friends, the gospel compels us to humility in our conflict. Why? Because when you believe the gospel, you know that I am an enemy of God, 
who's been made into a friend. You can only stay bitter towards another person if you feel superior to them, right? If you feel like, oh, I could never be like them. I could never do that. I could never say that, right? Those who cannot forgive and be reconciled are those who have refused to accept the fact of their own sinfulness, their own need to be reconciled to God. But to receive the gospel, oh my gosh, it means to be constantly aware of my own need for forgiveness. And that makes you humble. It makes you full of compassion for the other. It makes you be willing to look at the log in your own eye because I know that in every single conflict I'm in, I always have something that I need to be repentant of myself. Miroslav Wolf, the theologian says this, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. But see, to know the gospel means that double exclusion is overcome. I suddenly see the one I'm in conflict with as a fellow human worthy of empathy and compassion, and I suddenly see myself as a fellow sinner who's blind and has my own issues as well, right? The only way to be an ambassador of reconciliation is to let the gospel bring you humility. And finally, the gospel compels us to seek reconciliation resolutely. Paul says that Jesus has changed everything. In verse 16, because of him, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is especially the case with Christians, that if you know the reconciliation of God, you are, Paul says, a new creation. And guess what that means? The person you're in conflict with is a new creation too. And so it means we know that God's spirit is mightily at work, even to transform the most stubborn sinner into a masterpiece of God's grace. And therefore, you can't ever give up on each other. We can't ever kick anybody to the curb. We can't ever write anybody off and say, you know, I'm not gonna have anything to do with her or him anymore. We can't ever get tired of forgiving and repenting and seeking to rebuild our relationships. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you know that someone has something against you, you should go to them. In Matthew 18, he says, if you know that you have something against someone, you should go to them. So in other words, if any relationship is broken in any way, it's always your move. It's always in your court. God holds you responsible to reach out and repair what is broken, what is separated. But here's the thing, oh my goodness, this is so hard, this is so painful, and this is so very costly. But think of what it caused God to be reconciled to you. The death of Jesus Christ. Any true work of reconciliation always involves death because it involves losing something, admitting that you're wrong, letting go of your bitterness, letting go of your right to get even, denying yourself revenge. It's costly. So why do it? Verse 14, Christ's love compels us. We're compelled by the love of Christ. Because look, if, you're, if at the center of your worldview, if the most influential thing in your life is a God who dies for his enemies to be reconciled to them, don't you think that'll make you be a different kind of person? Someone who is willing to take any cost upon yourself to seek repair and reconciliation in relationships in the world. So let me close. Paul's great message here is something has happened. He's announcing the war's over. 
The hostility has ended. God has reconciled the world to himself through Christ. We are now called to be reconciled to God and to live as ambassadors of his reconciliation in the world. And so I wanna urge you, church family, I just wanna speak real personally to you now. Church family, as we, as we enter back after more than a year apart, I know this because I'm your pastor, there are hurts among us. There are walls that have been erected. There, there are estrangements. There's a ways that, that some of you feel separated and detached from others in our community. Through this tumultuous season, we've realized, gosh, we have a lot of different ways of seeing the world. We have a lot of different ways of handling tough issues. Maybe you're experiencing distrust of people in the community or in the leadership. But look, friends, what Pentecost shows us is the church is not a collection of uniform, like-minded people who believe the exact same things. Do you know what that is? That's a sect. Nor is the church a community of people who behave in exactly the same way. Do you know what that is? A cult. What Pentecost shows us is that the church is a people who are not bound together through exact beliefs nor exact behaviors, but we are bound together through common belonging that we are all reconciled to God through Christ by the power of the Spirit, that the church is a band of natural enemies who are now bound together in love for Jesus' sake by the power of the Spirit. So let's commit, friends, let's commit to be a reconciled community because in the end, Jesus says, this is how the world will know that the war is over, that Jesus is risen, and that there's nothing now between us and God but his welcome embrace. Let's pray. Just want to invite you to respond to God in any way you feel led right now, whether you realize that you are estranged from God and that he's inviting you to turn back to him, or perhaps you have a relationship in mind where you're experiencing estrangement and conflict and and you sense God is calling you to make the first move. Would you just respond to God now in whatever he's put on your heart? We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you Spirit, that you are drawing us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have become sin for us, that we might become in you the righteousness of God. Thank you that you have ended the hostility between us and God. Help us this week to live as those who have been reconciled to God, that we might be those who reconcile in the world. We pray in Jesus' name.